Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. everybody. Thanks for sharing your time with us. We really do appreciate that. I want to thank Ken Quiethawk for that amazing intro. Please check him out on the internet. He's a native storyteller and he and his wife have managed to put an amazing body of material together that is quite profound and it helps to show how cosmology and history can be shared through stories that can be passed generation to generation. It's an amazing talent and gift that they have, and I highly advise you to check it out. We're going to be talking tonight about an amazing book that I've just finished reading, which I loved, called Smile of the Universe, Miracles in an Age of Disbelief. Let me kind of give you a little bit on on, on exactly what the book was about. You know, why is the universe smiling? The word miracle is rooted in a Sanskrit syllable, S-M-I, from which we get the English word smile. So a miracle refers to a smile induced by certain sensations of awe, beauty, and wonder. Humans have always had extraordinary experiences, often called miracles. An account of reported miraculous phenomena, Smile of the Universe, takes us beyond conventional religion and science to explore the outer reaches of human potential. Grounded in true stories and matter of fact, Michael argues for the reality of a great mind and for the human ability to communicate with that mind. In an age of disbelief, it presents a fact-based template for (laughs) experimental spirituality and makes the case that every one of us rightly understood is a smile of the universe. He obtained his Ph.D. in philosophy from Columbia University and has taught philosophy and the humanities at New Jersey City University, City University of New York, and elsewhere. He is an artist and an independent scholar. He divides his time between consciousness research, miracle hunting, and painting. And among his many books are The Man Who Could Fly, St. Joseph of Cupertino, and The Mystery of Levitation experiencing the new next world now and soul making 
The, the book is a phenomenal book. If you're interested in miracles, this helps to explain them tremendously. I want to welcome Michael to the show. Michael, welcome to the show. All right. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for that very nice introduction. Well, you know, the book was really worth a lot more, but then I wouldn't have needed you here. So it's 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 better to just give a little bit and let you take care of the rest. Um it <laughs> it, it it is a fascinating thing and everybody probably everybody has thought about miracles from time to time in their life, you know, whether whether it's the miracle of a rainbow or the miracle of something happening right at the right time or you know there there you know how how would everybody has a different definition so how what was the definition that you were working from when you wrote this book and well that's a good question I, well the, the main thing the first thing is the word miracle itself has a nice rhetorical ring it implies something extraordinary and something wonderful and as you pointed out, the root of the word is smile. So we kind of smile with wonder when we hear an extraordinary story about something totally unexpected and totally rare. However, so that's the subjective part. But in a more technical sense, I'm interested in experiences that we would call miracles for the reason that they cannot be explained uh, in terms of scientific materialism or, for that matter, any science that we know today. So, and these are called anomalies. So anomaly is not as nice a word as miracle, (laughs) but it's the same thing. But the miracle has a more positive side. The anomaly suggests breaking a law, and that's not true. Miracles don't break laws. They simply seem to imply new laws. So St. Joseph of Cupertino, when he levitated, He wasn't violating the law of gravity. He was under the influence of a force that counteracted gravity. In the same way, when I throw a a baseball up into the air, I'm not violating gravity, but but that's a physical force. In the case of St. Joseph and levitation, we're dealing undoubtedly with a force, but with a mysterious force that seems to be related to certain states of mind. So that's the kind of uh, approach that I'm, I'm uh, using. I'm looking for those, for information, worldwide patterns of, of information that suggest the limits of our prevailing scientific way of looking at the world, which is science is great and it's useful and terribly important uh, and a weapon and an and, and instrument of acquiring knowledge. But when it, is too emphatically materialistic in its outlook and tends to shy away from phenomena that are primarily mental in their creative potential. That's where I get a little critical. So my sense then of a miracle is an astonishing and unusual or relatively rare experience. But essentially the key is that it cannot be explained physically. And that's important because it implies a whole other oops, dimension of reality that we all actually know. We're, we're, we're acquainted with this other dimension of reality in our own minds. When you look within and you, and you have memories and you have feelings and you have desires or you have dreams or fantasies or hallucinations, 
They're all real experiences, but they're not physical. And they operate differently. They can't be measured in space and time in the same way our uh, physical events are. So this is known as dualism. In other words, there are two kinds of reality. Ultimately, the two may be resolved into one. But that's scientists and metaphysicians and philosophers are working on that. Uh, but the important thing, what I'm trying to do in my book, is remind everybody, not just a few people, that we all possess abilities that are far more extraordinary than most of us would even realize. It, unless we've done a little research or unless we're lucky enough to have the experience, various experiences or witnessed them, as I have, uh, you know, it, it's, it's harder if you haven't had any experiences like that. And also, if you've been raised in a modern university, the teaching is oriented around reductive materialism and not miracles of the kind that we're talking about. <laughs> well, I think that one of the, the interesting things that, that you, you, you hit on was that, <clears throat> first of all, I totally agree with you. I think that all of us have the potential for all of the things that, that, that you have um, listed in your book that you have called miracles. Um, but it, it's, it takes it away from the brain and the fundamental, the physicality, into that, that, um, that element, that area that, that, that has no, not, you can't touch it. In other words, your brain can't make a miracle happen. There's another source out there. There's another avenue, another um, place to go for the energy that creates the miracles. And in, in almost every case, they are, um, they, they are a result of a spontaneity, of creativity, of, mm-hmm. of, of some sort that, that enables the person to reach beyond what they think their physical limitations are. Yes, that 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 sounds right to me. In other words, there is an, let's say another dimension of reality uh-huh. that permeates us, but we're intimately related to it by means through our brains. The brain is clearly physical. When you examine your thoughts and your feelings, you can't measure them, you can't see them. They're private to you, although they uh-huh. become less private in cases of telepathy, right? When you know, if that happens, right. that suggests that at a deep level, our minds are connected. And uh, so uh, so the whole challenge, in a way, uh, here is to acknowledge that there is a another dimension of reality with all kinds of unusual powers and capacities and potentials. So the question is, how do we crack through the veil or the... The, the brain barrier, as it were, to the deeper states of consciousness. And there's what you sort of touched on, that, that spontaneity, uh, confidence that these things are going to happen in religion. It's called faith. After all, uh-huh. if, you're, if your mind is constructed uh, around inhibition, denial, if you put a wall up in your mind to certain kinds of reality, you'll shut them out. So there is a whole the art, is a tradition that goes back to the ancient uh, mystics and yogis of all ages and shamans. And they're always looking for ways to break down the resistance 
and open up the gates of consciousness uh, to that greater world. And that's fairly simple. All cultures have figured out one way or another, uh, meditation, uh, fasting. Uh, they all have stories that they tell that are designed to uh, honor and open themselves up to these mysterious powers. And uh, so th- this is an ongoing process, but we have forgotten our connection in the, as a result of our highly technical and materialistic civilization, which has many benefits. I'm not putting it down. <laughs> We're so absorbed, so absorbed. I mean, imagine you have all the distractions today, for example, of the mind. You've got a phone. I watch people walking up and down the, the streets. And they're staring at their at their phones. I know. Uh, yeah, I can, be, I can be having a conversation with a friend, and, and there's an issue comes up, whips the, the phone out, breaks the com- the flow of the conversation, and two minutes later, oh, that's the answer that, that we were groping for. I mean, it's a serious world of distractions everywhere. Unlike more traditional societies, poorer, if you will, sometimes, less advanced technologically, but societies which are more, have traditions and methods, methodologies that open themselves up to these creative energies in ways that we are, I think, as a more advanced technological peoples are systematically shutting out or diminishing the possible effects upon us. Uh, I don't mean to sound too... Yeah, I think that's well, a, that's an unfortunate development. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you on that. I think that uh, if you go way back in time, thousands of years, um, th- there were there were cultures, there were there were you know towns um, or or gatherings. Which they actually had a group memory. They were able to communicate telepathically with each other, and and it was it was you know just common everybody did it and you know there was mm-hmm. no need of, of of other of other ways of communicating and those qualities are still in us it's it's a matter of getting rid of the the the, the drudge the the um the the technology that we have thought was so advanced has really cut us off from our source of power within ourselves I mean, especially, let's go back to Joseph, uh, St. Joseph um, of Copertini. Um, no, Copertino. Copertino. You want to explain to the folks about this? Because he was one of my favorite of of the ones that you had in the book. Yeah, well, St. Joseph of Copertino, uh, we have Copertino in California, by the way, named after him. Uh, where all the digital technology is. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, uh, quite a difference, right? Now, uh, Joseph was born in, in um, 1603 and lived 60 years in, uh, in the 17th century. The 17th century was a century of scientific revolution. and But it was also a century of mysticism uh, in, in Italy uh, and all over Europe, for that matter. But the, the thing about Joseph, he, he seems to have been born with a disposition to go out of his mind. I, I mean, that's sort of a funny way of putting it. A disposition to surrender, to become ecstatic. And when he was a boy, he would, he would hear music in the distance while playing with the other children. 
and his mouth would open up and he'd go into a trance. And so the kids called him Boca Perta, gaping mouth. And that was his nickname. <laughs> and they thought, and he gave the impression of being an idiot because he was always, his mouth was opening and he was going off in, 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 in these incredible uh, trances. He'd hear a bit of music, he'd see a bird, and the bird would remind him of the glory of God, and he'd get ecstatic. But from a, a, an early age, he had this disposition to ecstasy, to go out. Ecstasy means ek, means out, stasis, standing outside of your mind and your ordinary mind and your ordinary body. He seemed to have had a biological disposition to that, I would say. But uh-huh. he also became deeply religious. And when he listened to religious music, especially when he prayed to the Madonna, the Madonna inspired him. He would go off into these states. And uh, so he, he was so spaced out that he had a hard time getting into, into any religious organizations. Because when they let him in, even temporarily, he blundered about because he was constantly falling into trances and he just say uh, God to him. And he was on his back ec- ecstatic. Now you can't you live in an organized religious society like that. So he was kicked out of his first attempt, but eventually people got the idea that Joseph was special, even though he was different in many other ways. So he was finally incorporated into uh, a uh, Franciscan uh, group. The, uh, he admired St. Francis, of course. And uh, almost immediately, this, the, first levitation that, the first levitation that he experienced, that's different from the ecstasy. The ecstasy is the okay. mental state. The levitation is the physical. But the first levitation that he is reported to have experienced was while he was standing in front of a painting of the Madonna. There's still, I've seen photographs of the Madonna, of, of this painting. And he lifted up into the air. Uh, and that, and I don't actually know if other people were, I don't remember at this point if others witnessed this or he just reported himself. But this launched him on a career. I try to imagine this, Barbara, for 35 years, this was a guy that didn't occasionally uh, have a weird experience. He was constantly having, he was unable to function in any normal capacity as a priest. For example, while saying confessions, uh, he would sometimes get carried away and suddenly become mute and unable to listen and to carry on because he's so, so spaced out. Um, when he would, when there would be, uh, let's say, marches where there was a lot of uh, dancing and music, uh, if he was on the scene, he would get carried away and he would levitate. He would go up in the air, sometimes on a tree like a bird. He was seen hovering like a bird on a, on a tree branch. And everything would stop around him because this was so extraordinary. He acquired, yeah. a, he acquired a reputation, people from all over Europe, came because he had a reputation not just being a uh, uh, a spiritual acrobat, but to being a truly holy man with insights into people's lives. When he did listen to confession, if you left something out, he'd remind you. His mind-reading capacity was so extensive that it annoyed some of the, his fellow priests. He would always catch, their, catch them while they were wandering 
from their prayers. Uh, and, and he'd sort of catch them out and say, hey, uh, Brother Jones, uh, come back to what you were praying and thinking. You, you were thinking about uh, having dinner, to some pasta tonight, weren't you? And, and the guy, <laughs> the priest would be embarrassed, say, yes, yes, sorry. But eventually his superiors said, how about calling it, Joseph? Leave us alone. Stop picking on us every time we have the wrong thought. That, that gives you an idea of the kind of psychic ability that this man had. And uh, how did he have such a psyche? Well, partly, it's a mystery. He had this disposition uh, to go into, the, into altered states of consciousness. But he also had a tradition that taught him how to purify himself by fasting. He hardly ever ate. Uh, a lot of mystics, shamans, and yogis fast. They interfere with the ordinary functioning of the body in order to open up the gates to the higher mind. But the stories about Joseph are, uh, I'll tell you one story that I kind of like. Uh, it will illustrate vividly Joseph's abilities, but also his personality. Uh, people came from everywhere, and they wanted to see Joseph levitate like, like he was a show, and he couldn't stand that. And he couldn't stop himself. But he got a visit from a, from a Spanish uh, official and his very, the text says, vehement wife, who was so vehement she wanted to talk to Joseph face to face with this holy man. So his superiors told him, you cannot avoid this confrontation. You have to go and, and talk to these people. The Span- it's a Spanish viceroy. Um, Spanish were occupying Italy at that time, so you can't mess around. So he... Um, he said, okay, and as he approached the two, the viceroy and his vehement wife to speak to them, he noticed behind them a statue of the, of the Immaculate Conception, and that triggered a state of ecstasy, and, that, and so that he literally flew over their heads to, to embrace the statue. When he did this, the, vice, the Spanish viceroy's wife fainted on the spot, they had to bring smelling salts out for half of the people that were with him. They were like so shaken up. And then after <coughs> making contact with the statue, he flew back over their heads again and no longer felt obliged to talk to them because he had upset the scene so much. Anyway, that's the story about the uh, interesting story. It's well, numerous people witnessed this 150 Sworn depositions of Joseph by different people, hundred different people, including popes, uh, all kinds, surgeons, doctors, uh, all kinds of people who witnessed him levitate for a period of thirty-five years. And uh, and moreover, the hundred and fifty is just a fragment of the numbers of people who would have actually seen him levitate, because he was always out in the public saying when he said mass. He would typically be three or four or five inches above the ground during the whole mass, hovering there. And every now and then someone would come along and put their hands underneath to make sure they weren't being deceived. So Joseph was an extraordinary example of two things, altered state of consciousness and the strange abilities to do things that we call 
miracles. Levitation is only one. Many others could, I could cite about Joseph. He was a bilocator. He was seen, for example, in Copertino at his mother's bedside when she was dying. Everyone knew he was in Naples at the same time. Uh, and he was in separate places, so different witnesses from different parts of Italy at the same time reported seeing him. So uh, it is a very unusual man, and and, uh, and there are lots of them in history. <laughs> and one of my well, yeah. the aims of my book, yeah, is to remind people that there is an enormous amount of information about extraordinary human abilities, and the more we learn about these abilities. Uh, I think uh, the more we have to benefit. and uh, But there's a re- certain resistance, uh, as you, I'm sure, are aware of, to con- confronting this material. Well, I think that's one of the... the oh, yeah. I, I think one of the things that, that, that people should really know, and, and your book goes way back in time and, and comes forward in time to even current current events, that... that these things happen to people uh, from all walks of life. They mm-hmm. happen to, pe- to people who are who are religious and who are not religious, and mm-hmm. it, it, it's almost as though it happens, you know, in spite of yourself. It's it's these this, the the things that you've cited in in your book. Um, none of these people were looking to develop any of these qualities. It just happened mm-hmm. so it, it's not mm-hmm. it's not that um you know a magic wand was waved over individuals it's it's something in their life permitted them to open themselves to a higher power a greater mind whatever i, I don't mm-hmm. i don't want to use the term god because that's to me limiting so it it feels as though there is there is an energetic that we have as individuals that everyone can access if mm-hmm. they so uh, want to go within and, and sort of turn it on. It, it's, all, it's like a smartphone. You know, you have apps that you turn on and apps that you don't turn on. And it's the same way right. with these, these skills and these talents. Um, I don't believe any of them have ever really been used for um, – monetary gain it's mm-hmm. usually um, even if you go way way back to the Oracle of Delphi or you go back to Fatima or you, 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 these people are very common and that's not meant to be a derogatory term it's they're, they're mm-hmm. everyday people and right. and because they have an ability and a talent and a skill they they I, I, I believe they're demonstrating it has, has other people wondering, could I do this? How would I do this? What do I need to do in my life to open myself to these kind of skills and talents? And mm-hmm. um, I think they've been, you know, look at look at the Buddha. Look at, um, gosh, some of the, you know, look at Jesus. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, the disciples look at, uh, I mean, it, it goes goes on and on and on and especially in the 1800s it, it feels like either either there was not a lot of, of great news out there or or there there was suddenly a, a, a surge of 
these kind of skills and talents developing in the 1800s because when I look back at, at some of the, the stories of the, the mediums and the clairvoyants and the seers and the, you know, um, the oracles, uh, there, there seems to be a, a, a big bunch of them there. But, but, I mean, you can go back to Socrates. Uh, it, it, mm-hmm. there, are reports, there are reports of unusual circumstances that happen to usual people, and, and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's out there today. And it, it's yes. a matter of, yes. I mean, look at Joan of Arc. I mean, she had visions. Now, her visions came in dreams, and they, they, there were voices that talked to her. There is not a one of us out there that, that hasn't heard our name spoken, and there was nobody there. Right. I would right. bet right. everybody has had that experience, and yeah, it's kind of like yeah. th- that's one of the first in 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 my in, in my experience. That's one of the first things that that happens to people when when that element within them is beginning to open up. They for yeah. some reason hear their hear their name called and there's nobody around. Hmm. And and, so, mm-hmm. and and if and you and you go from there. If if you just fluff it off and say, "Well, I was hearing things," then then in, in a way you have you have said thanks, but no thanks this lifetime. Yeah, well, but, it depends but, on what you're being what what the, what you're being what you're hearing too. I mean, yeah. if uh, I once heard my name, the only time I had this kind of experience that you're describing, I heard a female. Very softly called Michael. And I definitely heard it. There was it was I was wide awake. I wasn't drunk or stoned, but that was it. <laughs> and now I mean, if she had continued and said, you know, uh, I got a message for you, grows grows over me, and that would have been more interesting. But that might yeah. have been just a little brain, a little brain tweaking, you know, some little something like like a, like a, a snatch of dream that suddenly bursts out of the brain into your consciousness for a moment. But it's how you react and what if it continues. You know, I wanted to say something since you mentioned Socrates. I thought it would be interesting to share with readers to say a little bit about Socrates because he's such an interesting case. Socrates is generally regarded as the founder of rational science and philosophy in the Western world. Uh, the Greek, the ancient Greeks, uh, woke up to science and rationality in ways that no other ancient culture did. So that's all true. So Socrates is famous for his rational philosophical dialogues, uh, with, which were recorded by by his friend Plato. But it turns out that Socrates also had a what we would call a guardian angel, but the Greek word was a daimon, spelled not D-E-M-O-N, but D-A-E-M-O-N, daimon. And the daimon is a good spirit. And it's well known from the literature and the dialogues and other people who wrote about Socrates beside Plato that uh, Socrates every now and then would go into a trance and sometimes for an entire day, he'd be motionless, ecstatically thinking, lost in another world. The other thing is, he had the, the, the voice would tell him never what to do, but what not to do. In other words, if there was a danger, he would get, get it. And, and there's all kinds of stories of him 
getting like very trivial things. Like uh, if you go down that street, you're going to get a pig going to go wild and splatter mud all over you and your friends. He got, he got that warning one day. So he told his friends, don't go that way. And they were laughing at him and they all went, he didn't. And they were all splattered by a pig, by mud. I mean, that kind of thing. So he was a psychic and at the same time, a brilliant, rational philosopher. That's an important message to the scientists today. There's no contradiction between having intuitive, psychic, and spiritual powers and having the finest, rational, and intellectual powers. Uh, it, you know, so that, that, that's, that, that's important. I mean, this is true for many, many of the great uh, individuals of history. They were intuitive and they had good heads. They weren't, you know, completely crazy. <laughs> well, yeah, so, and I think, I, th- I think also um, around the time of his death, um, when he was ordered to commit suicide, um, he, he said, you know, well, my friend has not told me not to do this, so it must be my time to go. That's and, right. That's right. That's right. That, 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 he took that, that the absence of, of the of the diamond's interference as proof that he should uh, allow himself to be executed. He didn't commit suicide. They gave him poison. Yeah. But that's you know yeah. So yeah, that's an interesting part of the story. Absolutely. But, uh, I mean, to me, that was um, you know everybody has those those feelings from time to time to, to, to go here or to not go here, to do this or to not do this. Yes. And, yes, and, and it, it's sort of like if you pay attention to these um, quote-unquote coincidences, they increase mm-hmm. in, 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 you know, their frequency and their, and, and their intensity. And it's, it's, it's sort of like it's another sense. It is the sixth sense. And to not mm-hmm. develop it is to cut yourself off from um, a wonderful connection with a higher consciousness, or 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 a connection to a higher consciousness. And I love you know the great mind. Um, it's 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 an amazing gift that we all have, but you have to accept it. And and mm-hmm. um, I, I found that that creative people, and I mean you're an artist. You've you've dealt with getting into the quote zone when you paint most mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm. Um, people who write get into a zone that is a level of of uh, meditative consciousness that opens you up to the potential you carry within. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I think one of my biggest frustrations this lifetime is that you know people don't use the talents and the gifts that they're given. They rely on other people or other um, groups to tell them what and how to do things. And it, it takes a lot of the magic out of, out of the human existence, I think, personally. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a lack of uh, confidence. Uh, I mean, confidence, by the way, faith uh, or confidence is one of, the, one of those variables that is conducive uh, you have to be open, a- actively receptive to to a possibility before something will happen. And so you're quite right. If you people who rely on others, I mean, it's good to rely on others when it's appropriate. Uh, yeah. And uh, you know, you're t- teaching me how to drive. How, so you put your foot on the brake, Mike. 
<laughs> and that's how you stop the car. <laughs> All right, thank you. Yeah. Right? And uh, so, of course, uh, but then you have to decide where you're going to drive once you know how to drive that car. Uh, and so, yeah, we, we, we are um, timid. There's a timidity. And this has to do with education. I mean, if you're lucky enough uh, to be born into a family, you know, my family was not educated, but they tolerated my ideas and said, hey, I was the first one to go to college. So I didn't even know what college was. And, uh, but they said, okay, you know, we'll, we'll help you out as best we can. And uh, and then I had an older brother who was more knowledgeable about literature, and suddenly there were books in the house that uh, on literature. And so I, there I had the opportunity to start reading poetry very early on. And then I found myself writing poetry. So on the other hand, if you're in the wrong house and it's you're too poor, the book is not there, the options are not there, you can be a latent genius, and it's not going to be the, without the spark. It's not going to come forth. So uh-huh. yes, it's important to important to uh, rem- remember the, the big picture here about the human adventure. Oh, absolutely. And when when you've gone into, especially um, some of the the people that have had experienced the stigmata, um, and and. And then they pass away, and and there is a. It's the one thing that got me was in 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 a lot of places you you talked about the smell of sanctity. What is that? Oh yeah, that that is a very strange phenomenon. And and Joseph was a star in in this area, but it's very commonly reported, and not only in Catholic saints, it's, uh, but in all the religious traditions. You, but in the case of Joseph, because I know that in great detail, anything that he touched, uh, uh, a, a dirty piece of underwear with, uh, uh, or you know, a T-shirt uh, with blood on it or something, uh, if he touched it and you touched it, it had healing abilities. Uh, I, and um, so the story, story after story, I have a section in the book where I talk about this for healings that took place just by touching something that St. Joseph touched. Now, we don't know if that's just auto-suggestion or some kind of real super energy that's charged in the, in the object itself. But, um, but the point about, so that, yeah, that's the healing, but, I, but uh, you asked me about the, the odor of, of sanctity. Uh-huh. Uh, Oh right, so I switched from the from the odor to the healing. Sorry, that was my little mental slip up. Uh, so, <laughs> the 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 things that he touched would smell, have this beautiful smell, uh, and uh, the 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 I have a whole bunch of quotes in in the book of people who say that they would um, they would wash a handkerchief that was touched by Joseph over and over again for years, and it would continue to have this supernatural fragrance. The people that describe what it, what it, it smelled like no nothing that they knew, no, nothing familiar, but exceedingly beautiful and heavenly, and it had healing effects on people. It made them feel good. There was one guy who reports, he says, I, I tend to have a, a hypersensitive nose and I don't like smells. But when I smelled something that Joseph touched, 
I felt better. So this is a, quite an extraordinary phenomenon. And I happen to know somebody personally that was transformed by the smell, the fragrance of Padre Pio. Uh, and, uh, but this is a little different story. I do have discussion of Padre Pio in my book, too. Padre Pio yeah. was the, definitely projected himself all over the place through his smell. And as I say, I know one person very well to whom that happened, and it changed his whole life. Uh, so, yeah, these things are happening, and uh, they're quite mysterious and quite interesting. Well, I, the I idea, think yeah. what I love about it is that, that in, in all of your examples, there was not a case of, and, and they wrote a book and they went on the road and they publicized it. it, it it's basically... These are these are things that have happened to people. They've utilized their gifts to heal and to help other people, and they haven't gotten a monetary gain from it. Um, they stay very humble, and and you know that's an important part of of having gifts like this. Uh, I, I think the, yes, yes, yes. The, I agree. The humility. Okay. The, you know, the humility is is something that that. I don't know, it makes the gift even more precious because they're honoring it by giving it away. Yeah, well, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I, I see the, the humility as the absence of the ego that gets in the way. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the humility is like the emptiness. The, the, the door is, humility is opening the door, the psyche, and saying, you know, I'll take whatever you have, whatever, yeah. you know whatever I can receive. But, um, yeah, yeah. And, 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 uh, but there is, of course, an element of, you know, a lot of these things are happening spontaneously to everyday people, like they one-shot events. Then there are others that seem to have a more continuous uh-huh. uh, supply of <laughs> uh, influx of the higher mind, the greater mind, whatever you want to call it, and these folks often, and there are many of them around today, uh, maybe you and I have a little touch of that, right, just by virtue of our interest in these things, that we have been touched by these unusual powers, and there's a feeling that we want to make it known, uh, we want to develop it, we want to open the door further, we want to share uh-huh. it, right, and not just right. uh, run away and say, oh, an odd, an odd thing, I can't figure it out, but who cares, you know. <laughs> Uh, it, it's just um, uh, it's a it's a part of human consciousness unfolding to its full potential, and we need to think well, yeah. in those terms. And, uh, I think I think that's that's really important what you just said because there are there are countless um, musicians that talk about how they are inspired for some of their music and and you mm. know, they they didn't ask for something but su- suddenly something just came and mm-hmm. um and and it's the same same thing i would imagine with painting and and painters i know um i did a deck of cards that were hand painted mandelas and i'm not an artist but there mm-hmm. are like 500 of them out there so it's like mm. i often say you know it, it came through me it, it not of me and and i i think this happens to everybody at some point in time in their life, and mm-hmm. 
they don't know what to make of it. So, you know, maybe I better not talk about this because people will think I'm nuts. And um, <laughs> happily, happily society today, you know, doesn't judge the way it used to. You know, you're not going to get burned at the stake or, or right. you know, nobody's going to try to drown you to see if you can fly or anything like that. But it, it's, <laughs> right. it's, it's an amazing time because people are really open to these kind of gifts and and everybody was given the it, it was in you know how sometimes when you start a project or you have a class or whatever you get that that initial package of things you're going to need during the course well uh-huh. well all of these tools were in the initial package we got when we incarnated into this lifetime and and it's a matter of trusting it and welcoming mm-hmm. it um and and but you know but then i mean that that goes for clairvoyance clairaudience and all of the other stuff that's that's mm-hmm. kind of standard operating material but then you get to the things like let's take fatima mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. how do you explain fatima oh all right right no well, fatima is definitely uh, one of the most baffling uh, a phenomena. I mean, the most, there are two major points about the Fatima story that blow my mind. Number one, on the first occasion that the three children uh, encountered a lady of light, uh, or maybe it was the second occasion, because the, on the first occasion she told them to come back to the same spot for six months. Uh-huh. Every month. <clears throat> On the second occasion, when the children came back and explained how when they told everybody about what they had seen, they were told that the children should ask the lady to prove it. Show us something. Give us a sign. And the lady responded, as you must know, that on the last of the six months, which turned out to be October 13th, 1917, on that day, something would happen that everybody would see and would convince them of the reality. Uh-huh. So, that, so number one is, is, the, is, the, is, the, is that six-month precognition, because it was a precognition. Because on that uh-huh. date, you must know the story. I'll just repeat it, the, the details very quickly. On okay. that date, 70,000 people showed up in the expectation in, that something extraordinary was going to happen. Those who believed, those who didn't believe, and there are great numbers of them, skeptics who tried to tear these kids down and prove they were crazy or liars, they were there too. At 12 o'clock, which was the time that this event was predicted to occur, it was ringing like mad in Fatima. Suddenly, the sky cracks open and the clouds spread open, and the, the one of the children, I think it was not Jacinta, uh, or maybe um, Lucia, actually, looks up into the sky and says, look. And everyone looks up, and the sun appears. Now, mind you, it appears to be moving. It, it appears to be a disk, which then... In its movement, but by the way, in the meantime, when that sky opened, all the after the rain, all the rain there dried up instantly uh-huh. uh, on the ground. 
But what happened was that this disk of light that was superimposed over the sun and was taken to be the sun, obviously wasn't. If the sun shook up, we'd be toast. But the, the something over that sun, disk-like, came shooting down toward the 70,000 people in a, zig, in, a, in a zigzag motion, terrified them. There were photographs of people looking up in horror. And then it went back, back up in a zigzag motion and disappeared into the sun. Now, that was a totally fantastic event. But the interesting news is that it has all the properties of a, of a classic UFO. UFOs move in these zigzag movements. And the UFO researchers have grabbed on to the Fatima story and suggested that there's some kind of UFO connection. So I don't know what the heck happened that day, but it's one of the most mysterious events in human history as far as I'm concerned. Why? Well, you had 70,000 witnesses. 70,000. Was wasn't it also pouring rain on them, and when the, this whole thing was over, they were all dry? None of them yes, were soaking yeah, wet? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And people were healed. It was seen for many miles away. So it was something objectively real, totally incredible and impossible, meant to awe struck, to awe, to strike awe into 70,000 people. And, it, and by the way, it was not paid, no one paid attention to it in America because the World Series were on. And, <laughs> you know, what could, how could, you know, who cares about a miracle when you've got the Dodgers winning the World Series or something, whatever the heck was happening. So, um, but that's a, a pretty amazing story. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I, uh, if anybody, well, uh, that certainly qualifies as a miracle. Well, one thing, absolutely, I'm not saying it doesn't, but one thing that, that nobody, you know, that I know of yet has talked about is is when you get group energy and group dynamics, and 70,000 people is a lot of energy focused mm-hmm. on one thing, on one direction, mm-hmm. you could you could change the weather pattern. Possible, yeah, so, no, I agree that. Uh, I agree that many of these phenomena seem, in some instances, to be a byproduct of some kind of uh, group dynamic. Uh, but um, yeah, something like that. It, 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 it's either that, or it's some other agency. It's some kind of co-creative process. But uh, I, I mean, if I had the answer to that question. But you're right. That's a definite possibility of, of that there's some kind of what I call, I've written about this, paranormal group dynamics. And that we know that a seance, a seance, a group of people together, can cause a table to levitate. Oh, sure. Uh, by, by the way, you were interested in levitation. I've, I wanted to mention, uh, as I do in the book, that one of the things that got me interested in levitation is an experiment that I performed in a classroom with a coat with another teacher and about 30 students, and I won't repeat the details, but, but in which we levitated a 200-pound ex-marine up into the air simply by four women touching him, just touching, not pressing. You know, this is the way you two, touch a, two fingers. a ball. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Just like as you're touching it with a Ouija board. You, know, you touch the, the target, and you feel it move. It moves. I mean, yeah. I've done it. Yeah. I'm sure you've done it. And, oh, yeah. Well, this guy weighed 200 pounds, and when I said lift, and the girls stretched their hands straight up in the air, he went up into the air. Yeah. Barbara, I will never forget the look on that man's face. <laughs> I can still remember it. 30, year, 30 years ago, right? Of utter astonishment. I was astonished. I never expected it to happen, and it never happened again. I tried it several times. It might, you know, in the future. But uh, so there you go. I witnessed myself. I yeah, conducted no, a meditation. I've, I've, I've done table tapping, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I can, I can sort of explain it as far as energetics. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'm in this field. I believe in all of this, but there are times when I look at things and I can explain something energetically that that has nothing to do with the paranormal. It's just an energetic thing, and um, yeah. you know, well, it could be a paranormal energy. Oh right? yeah, absolutely. A, in but, other words, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I wanted to also go into the oracles because. You make a, a big distinction about you know psychics and mediums and oracles, and you do make a distinction between them. Hmm. I, I'm not Which sure what I. Uh, well, I mean, oracles um, or- are. Uh, uh, the, the Greek, the ancient Greek oracles are. Yeah, the um, Delphi guys. Yeah. yeah. Well, those are more place oriented, whereas modern mediums tend not to be attached to a particular place. That uh-huh. would be one difference. But to be honest with you, uh, Barbara, I don't know. I don't remember the distinction I made there. Uh, I, um, I, I see them I think all. It, it had it had to do with the well with the oracles. They were bringing forth um, materials, answers um, for, and and the oracles, especially at, at at Delphi. You know, it was politicians, kings, and you know, it was very very. Right. Uh, Absolute Practical. people that went to the Oracle at Delphi, but but mm-hmm. their mutterings had to be interpreted to give the, the the quester the information they needed. Mediums don't use that, someone to interpret for them. Yes, that 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 may have been the case, and uh, uh, I, I uh, yeah, but the the, the fundamental you know the, the similarity there are variations in styles and methods. I mean, some mediums, for example, physical mediums require darkness uh, uh-huh. to to perform, and that immediately suggests to some people, oh, they 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 need to they need the dark so that they can play tricks on us. I don't believe that. The dark. I think getting into the dark, uh, what a medium is doing is is in a sense creating the atmosphere of a dream. Uh, getting the distraction, the sun sunlight can be very distracting. It wakes you up, whereas the darkness, your mind tends to operate more effectively. On the other hand, there are mediums, and saints, and yogis, and and experiments that have been done in broad daylight. So it's not an absolute. The thing about the paranormal universe, uh, in my opinion, at any rate, it, it it's so many. Um, variations on a theme and there's nothing absolutely rigid or certain there's always an element of um, 
uh, a fuzziness around the edges of these stories that sometimes, in other words, is never absolute total consistency. Uh-huh. That's all right. People are not totally absolutely consistent. We're not robots. That's, oh, that's understandable. Yeah. I mean, every artist paints, uses a brush differently and gets different effects, right? So it's the same thing with the psychic universe. Uh, lots of variety. And, uh, yeah, that, that, I guess that was the point. Uh, that, that can be confusing. Uh, you, you would say, well, why is some mediums required the dark and others don't, you see? And, and uh-huh. well, you know, why do some painters like to drink whiskey and others smoke weed or others say a prayer or something <laughs> before they start to work, right? Uh, everyone has a different style. Of, um, well, I think that's that's one of the very very, you know, nice things about your book. You you go into all different um, modalities and all different ways of approaching the modalities. And some 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 do use a, a hallucinogenic of some sort that takes them into that place. I know uh, Alastair Crowley experienced. You know, he, he experimented with a lot of different. Um, hallucinogenics, seeking for the source of seeking for a way to get to the higher mind within himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so it's it's oh, sure. you know yeah it's different strokes for different folks actually. Um, well, exactly. One of the thing, exactly. One of the things that, that one of your chapters was you know um, living by miracle. You want to explain what that is? I thought that was beautiful. Oh, well, right. That was a phrase. Uh, I quoted a phrase from the great English poet, William Blake. He says, uh-huh. as for me, I live by miracle. It's kind of a, you know, uh, an ironical, um, rhetorical way of, of saying that he's tuned in to the divine. Uh, so that was, you know, living by miracle. But my, when I asked myself the question, what are the psychological variables that open us up to this ex- more extraordinary uh, world of, uh-huh. uh, of of the miraculous, of the unusual? And so I come up with this with several uh, 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 variables. And but what it, what it, they all come down to is the openness of the mind. I mean, well, I mean there is introversion, getting deep inside yourself, also having having some kind of uh, belief system that's, that opens you up. Uh, this, and then there, the, the two other variables that I mentioned are, is, uh, are the, the uh, what I call telic thinking. In other words, if you have a goal before your mind, the goal is often all you need to stimulate the, the effect that you're desiring. And what the physicist... Um, uh, Helmut Schmidt discovered with his experiments with PK. He said people who succeed with the PK experiments, they don't try to analyze how they're going to get that result that they're aiming for. They don't think about the how. They just think about the end state, the goal uh-huh. itself. They focus on that. That's really it's like magic. <laughs> See, science goes <laughs> step by step. Magic leaves all the intermediate steps out. But psychologically, what he's saying is, don't tr- try to figure it out. Just be confident that the thing that you're imagining uh, in, in the future, uh, the goal of the whole process will be fulfilled. 
So, and then the other, the ver- fourth variable that I, that that's where there's a lot of experimental evidence to support this suggests that the more spontaneous, the less rigid your mind is. Again, it's a it's a way of being open. It's a way of uh-huh. of, uh, of uh, opening the gates, uh, and so spontaneity. Uh, and uh, it is, it is a, the more you know rigid and um, your mental habits are, the more habitually driven you are, uh, the more mechanical your mode of life, and the less likely you're going to be open enough and, flat and elastic enough to be a vehicle for some extraordinary interesting breakthrough. But even there, I would never say no, never say no opinion of mine in this field is absolute, except that it's real. <laughs> the stuff is real, okay? <laughs> but, but, but everything else is, is up for grabs. It's, it's nuanced. And, and if you're looking for simple, you know, clot hopper smashing simple truths, go somewhere else. Uh, uh-huh. Do a crossword puzzle. But uh, if you're going to explore this realm, you have to be very subtle and open to all kinds of possibilities. And um, anyway, that's just my take on it. No, I, you're, you're absolutely, as far as I can tell, you're absolutely right, because uh, certainly I tell people to keep journals of the coincidences that happen in their lives because mm-hmm. it's their higher consciousness trying to get through to them. And the more they recognize them, the more they understand that there is, a greater mind, a higher power, there's something else at work. And, mm-hmm. and I, you know, can I tell you exactly what it is or where it comes from? No. But mm-hmm. uh, I've, you know, I've been in this field for over 50 years now, and I've never had a bad experience. So, mm. um, you know, oh, maybe once. But but that's, that's once in 50 years. That's not too bad. And... Right. The reality is, you know, you, you, trusting yourself to to go with your gut, as opposed. I mean, analyzing everything is wonderful, but there comes a time where you have to trust another part of yourself to help make choices and decisions. And um, the more you trust, the more you know something is right, the more it becomes right. And and I think. People who have a creative flow um, are, are more more likely to flow into this kind of um, performance, if you will. And and it mm-hmm. does feel as though those who have an academic background and are rigid within that background, um, you know, will fight the spirituality. Now, if you have an academic background and you have a spiritual philosophy as well, then you're loaded for bear. And, you know, while you're going to question things, you're also going to be able to accept things that you can't prove but that you know are right. Um, mm-hmm. There, you, You've gone into, um, in the book, so many different forms of miracles. And, you know, there, there are big ones and there are little ones. And I think the ones that I am very impressed with are, are some of the healings that have taken place. Um, physical hearings where healings right. where... Yeah. Major major illnesses have been cured overnight. 
mm-hmm. when, when when a healer you know came in and and worked on the people and quite often when a healer comes in it's someone from a not always but often it's a healer from a very um an indigenous one one that comes from nature rather than somebody who lives on park avenue um you know yeah. it's often yeah. someone from the forest <laughs> or or the highlands or whatever who has been living mm-hmm. in nature with nature and is able to call on those energies to help the body come into a greater balance. The uh, the one story I found fascinating was a man who had, I think it was cancer, and um, a healer told him that somebody told a healer told him that a certain medi- medicine medicine. Ah, yes, he's talking about yes, yes, Mister Wright. This was not his yes. correct name. That okay. that I'm glad you mentioned that. That is one of the most interesting stories I've ever come across in 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 medical in the medical literature, which demonstrates the power of belief. Now, Mr. Wright had cancer. He had cancers the size of oranges all over his body, and he was a dead man. However, he heard that there was a new medicine, krabiazin, what it was called. turns out to have been a horse serum. And there were some articles in in the newspapers about this miracle drug. And this guy, Mr. Wright, got it into his head that he wanted to try this. For some reason, he fixated on that particular medicine, on that uh, reported medicine. And so his doctor got it for him and gave it to him. And he instantly, not instantly, but within a few days, all the cancer disappeared. And he went out and back and left the hospital and for several months carried on his life. He was flying planes, I remember the story. Uh, and uh, living a perfectly good life until he read an article in a newspaper reporting that cribiazin was not a, a successful drug and they were, they were going to dump it. Immediately the cancer returned. Goes back to the doctor and explains what happened. The doctor by this time figures out that this guy is just reacting to a placebo. It's his face that's doing it. So he says to him, look, uh, I'm going to give you the proper, the, what they, the article was misleading. Uh, they've been giving the wrong amounts or the wrong, you know, uh, uh-huh. quantity of the, of, the, of the serum. So I'm going to give you the correct uh, the, uh, quantity. So what he actually did squirts water into his, uh, into his arm, just water. In other words, not, nothing. Again, uh-huh. it happens. Almost immediately, all the cancer disappears. He goes back to living his life. Now, you know how the story ends. A second time, after several months, he gets the news. Once and for all, scientists have decided it's useless. It's a worthless, non-effective medicine. Cancer comes back immediately, and within a few days, he dies. Now, somebody explain that to me. How can the sheer belief in nothing... There was nothing there that he was to believe in. Just the belief itself kept him in perfect health 
when his belief, which is in his mind, changed, he gets the cancer and he dies. That, that is one of the most amazing stories that I, I, I'm acquainted with. And, it, oh, and of yeah. course, placebo, we know placebos do. Placebos, for example, are almost as good as any medicine for depression. It's a matter of one or two points of uh, difference in terms of effectiveness. So placebos are a universal healing agent, i.e. belief, trust, yeah. expectation, confidence, faith, whatever word you want to use, a positive attitude. And uh, that's an important lesson. And I'm so glad you picked that story out because that's the, one of the most important and interesting stories I know of. And it's yeah, science. It's, <laughs> we have a yeah, scientific doctor. Yeah. Well, so, and, and also, for anybody who has ever been to a faith healer, you know, uh, in, in a church or whatever, and, mm-hmm. and seeing them working and... Um, I, I I was able to uh to to work with a faith healer, um, you know, to mm-hmm. be there, not not healing people, but and it was fascinating. She was a singer and she would use the music to build the energy. She would have people standing and clapping and jumping up and down and dancing and when she felt mm-hmm. the energy was strong enough she would call people forward and she would touch them and because of the energy in the room and the people's belief that she was able to channel God into their bodies and cure them. I can't tell you the number of people that would would walk out healed. Now, um, mm-hmm. it and, and and permanently healed too. Mm-hmm. I mean, not mm-hmm. not not just it wears off in a week, but permanently healed. And right. it 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 is amazing what a belief, an inner belief, can do to your body. Your body is far more powerful than than mm. most people believe. And um and, and I, these 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 faith healers they call themselves a faith healer. They're not saying mm-hmm. that they're doing it. They're saying that God works through them. So right. um right. you know it it to me it but the energy in the room you could feel the hairs on your on your arms standing up. It mm. it became so intense and 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 then of course you know people would fall on the floor and people other people would say don't touch them they're touched by spirit and maybe or or maybe they have gotten to that place inside of themselves that that's where they need to be i i mm-hmm. think that utilizing the power that we have within us and and, and even given a, a placebo like god has touched me through this person therefore i am healed it it in, in many cases, it can heal you. I mean, the the um, what what do the doctors call it? Um, it's it's almost a, they have a medical term for it. It, it, it. It's sort of like you know the cancer went away. You know, for some remission, reason, it's unexplainable. Uh, yeah, yeah, a, a, re, a remission. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. But, yeah. But it it's it's uh, we have powerful energy available to us and and it's sort of like you know you got a tool belt here you got a lot of stuff in that tool belt and and if you utilize it and and you know speaking from experience i can tell you that 
that having a, a creative outlet is really a good idea, that mm-hmm. having a positive outlook on life um, and, and finding the joy inside of yourself is the best fuel for making anything happen and, mm-hmm. and allowing spontaneity to be a part of your life as well. And, and at the very least, you'll have a richer life. At the very most, you can open doors and channels that will allow you to make amazing things happen within your own life. Um, you're, you're not going to possibly not going to, you know, manifest bread for the table and fish for the dinner. But 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 <laughs> if you're open to having miracles happen, they really do happen. Well, it, it, it helps being open, and, and we we have no idea how much we're closing out unconsciously. I mean, so much of our mental life is. Uh, automatically operating independently of our intentions. But we can um, become more intentional and and become more uh, guide the forces in us in ways that Uh will be more helpful uh, rather than than, than blocking uh, and destructive. So, yes, I, I, uh, I think that this information of human potential... Uh, needs to be uh, spread in ways that uh, that it becomes more helpful and more. Um, I mean, it, it does seem to me there's a lot of interest in in, in consciousness nowadays, uh, and uh, a lot of people are uh, on this uh, wavelength and exploring. Oh, Maybe absolutely. This, this thing that's just happened with the uh, that is happening now. Uh, the pandemic, uh, I think, is forcing many, many people into sort of more introspective. You know, that's uh-huh. one of the variables in the in in, in the life uh, living living by miracle as an introverted uh, life. And what's happening is we're being forced uh, to uh, to become introverted. Uh, I myself don't mind it. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm a little lucky because. You know, I have my own house, and I've got, you know, something to do with my life. I mean, if I, 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 there's no loss here. But uh, so, yeah, uh, I just heard a, a beep, a sound. What was that? Uh, no, no, no. It was it was my cat knocking a bell on the t- on the desk. Oh, <laughs> it sounded like some kind of a. Uh, no, my my uh, cat is uh, becoming part of the show suddenly. Um, I, I think what. <laughs> I think one of the interesting things too that 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 um that I found was how were you introduced to the element of miracles? Uh, you begin the book with a very interesting story, which is really kind of cool. Oh, that the seeing that particular uh, miracle in in Astoria, yeah. Well, but that, but to answer your question, the real answer was not that particular incident, but I how I got interested in, in miracles is my own experience. And, and I mean, I've had periodically throughout my life, beginning early in my life, um, precognitive, psychokinetic, telepathic, and a lot of uh, other experiences that are strange and even difficult to, to call it, to, to characterize or to characterize so my own experience and, and uh, 
And my mom was sort of interested in the Catholic saints. So I had these books lying around and I would pick them up every now and then. And uh, I remember there was one book she had about, talk about a healing. It was in 1954, uh, a woman's a statue of the Virgin Mary started bleeding in the house of a, of a woman and her husband who were only vaguely religious and, and were um, – <clears throat> actually, the husband was a, was a communist and anti-religious. But the woman was, who was pregnant uh, and hysterical and sick in some ways – was in the house when this, this statue suddenly uh, started to bleed. Within a few days, it was it was a, a headline all over the world uh, about this phenomenon. I won't go any further. But what I'm saying is, my mom had a very well written, interesting book about that in the house. So I picked it up and I started to reading. So then, when I went on to uh, to study philosophy, I discovered that it was not. Uh, intellectually proper to take ESP or miracles seriously because the official, you know, outlook of the of, the, of most uh, academics would tend to be materialistic. So I realized that there was a problem here, that these people were obviously wrong because I uh-huh. had experienced these things. I knew that these things were real. And uh, I said, you know, I still, these are my friends and my teachers. And, but the, it turned out that only few and exceptionally, uh, I don't know, open-minded academics tend to be receptive. The everyday people are receptive to the extraordinary because they don't have any mental blocks. But right. academics think they, they think they know how the world works. And they do know stuff. I'm not pretending that they don't know, but... They have blind spots. Uh, Uh One thing that's worth sharing with the listeners, I I don't know about your experience, but I have friends who I've tried to open their minds a little bit in a gentle, friendly way uh, on several occasions trying to get friends of mine open to the idea of life after death. And I had, I remember on one occasion I had a book by, uh, on mediumship by Alan Gold, one of the best uh, books I knew on the subject. And I tried to give it to two of my colleagues where I was teaching in those days. I said, look, I got an extra copy. And this book is, you know, PhD in psychology, knows what he's talking about. You might find it interesting. Uh-huh. I could not get either of those dear friends of mine <laughs> to even touch the book. Well, I pointed uh-huh. the book at them and they went, ah, oh, like, like a vampire freaked out by, you know, it's like, it's like holding a cross up in front of a vampire who freaks out. <laughs> it, it was yeah. ridiculous. And I keep running into people that are like that uh, today and people that are my good friends too sometimes. Uh, the minds are shut, but you know. What well, we do. I, you know, I, I, I definitely have experienced the same thing, but but happily, there are a lot of PhDs that are you know kind.
coming to the light side, so to speak, and mm-hmm. understanding oh, yeah. that it just it just enhances their practice by incorporating mm-hmm. a, a you know a, a different system as well you know not instead of but along with what they've got mm-hmm. because for instance the element of a phobia can easily go to a past life. And mm-hmm. rather than trying to hypnotize somebody out of being afraid of something, letting them live their past, relive their past life and understand where the fear came from alleviates it too. So, mm-hmm. so you, you, you fix it in one sitting instead of ten. So, right, I mean, right. And, and that's, that's, not in the, that's not the case in everything, but it is an example of how the two modalities together serve a greater purpose um, in, in healing a person than, mm-hmm. than just trying to, to analyze them. If, you know, the, the more modalities you bring in, the richer the, the, the um, service is that you render to the person. Um, one of the other um, instances you talked about was the, the instance of, of um, Ganesh needing to be fed milk. In, was it in India? Ah yes, 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 yes. That's a that's another. I have to say, I mean, boy, I had fun writing that book <laughs> because yeah. I had to I had to live with all these stories, you know. And um, but that that that's one that uh, first of all, <clears throat> I witnessed this miracle with my own eyes on CNN. One day, I turn on the television set, and there is a. A, a BBC reporter holding a cup of milk in his hand, and he's explaining how this is happening all over India and other places where there are temples, Indian temples dedicated to Ganesha, the elephant-headed uh, uh, god. And so there's uh-huh. a statue of this god. And what what had happened? Uh, well, I'll just tell the story about the the reporter. So the reporter explains how the people have been bringing milk to the statue and the milk has been just disappearing, dematerializing. And, of course, that's a phenomenon, a paranormal phenomenon, which I already know about. So he's he's going to perform an experiment, and he takes this cup of water, puts it underneath the statue of Ganesha, and the camera beams right down on the little cup of uh, milk. I'm sorry, did I say water? Cup of milk. Yeah. This is a milk drinking, uh, milk drinking deity, and I can see it slowly disappear. It didn't spill, as the phony attempts to explain this away proclaim that it would sucked up by something in some ridiculous attempt to explain it away. I could see the milk materialize. Now, then I read up on it, and it turned out later on, I had two of my students were Indians were in their temple when this happened. And one of them, they both brought me back written reports of their, of their walking up to the statue with, a, with, with, with milk. And the one, my one student, I, have his, I still have his written report, explained how he went on the line three times to convince himself what he was watching was, was real. It was so mind-blowing. Went online three times, and each time he could see. Just exactly as I saw the BBC reporter, the milk slowly 
evaporate into nothingness. Now, hey, and that happened all over, wherever it happened in, in the United States, in Britain, and, of course, in India. The whole thing uh-huh. started when some uh, Hindu man had a dream that Ganesha told me, I'm thirsty, bring me milk. Yeah. <laughs> so the guy gets it, and he, gets, he, runs, he runs to the statue and brings the milk, <clears throat> but the milk disappears. Everybody sees it, and before you know it, everybody around the world is doing it. Now, that's another knockout of the story, an absolute knockout. And, oh, yeah. uh, it, it, and, and it, it, did, it did also um, cause a milk shortage because that's right. everybody was <laughs> you, you, can't make, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, there, if, exactly. it's almost as though um, there, are, there are such massive demonstrations of an otherworldliness going on that, mm-hmm. that it, you know, how can people deny that something like that happens? I mean, it's, well, it's impossible. I agree, but you know the strange thing is this, how rapidly that amazing story just disappeared. Disappeared. There's no one, they're not talking about it. They're talking about, you know, baseball games or football or something endlessly. Uh, Some political item, you know, which, you know, often can be important, but endless talk. Here's something that completely subverts our common sense view of reality, something that should astonish scientists and ordinary people. Anybody with a brain should be excited hearing a story like this. But it disappears into nothing. I mean, that, that blows my mind more than the miracle. The miracle of human stupidity. Sorry, that's not the right word. Denseness, imperviousness. Lack of imagination. I don't know what to call it. But uh, well, again and again, that happens. How about, how about the, I think it was an Indian, uh, the, the Dalai Lama asked somebody to change the weather because of a, of a funeral. And, uh-huh. and, and the um, priest lit a huge bonfire and chanted for like 20 hours. And for that time frame, the rain all around continued, but but not not in the area where this this celebration of a man's life was going on. So that's right. I mean, that's another that's another knockout of a story. Uh, I know I didn't I didn't uh, ever meet him. His name was Barker. He was an anthropologist who witnessed it and uh, <clears throat> described that he was disoriented for several weeks to see this thing happening. And by the way, here's uh-huh. another interesting point, uh, Barbara, about that story. The uh, monk who did the chanting, uh, I don't know, if, yeah, I suppose he was a monk, uh, yeah. religious figure. Uh, he didn't, you know, you have to put a lot into these things. He, he, he chanted for hours and hours and hours. So when we play psychic games, let's say, and try to get tables to move or this and that, you've got to be prepared to invest the time. I mean, you can't expect things to happen instantly. And uh, uh, you've got, you got to work a little bit if you want to perform a miracle, I guess. That's the, the, the lesson. But, yeah, that, yeah, that's another 
completely astonishing story. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and the thing is, and, and of course, then, now, now that to me was a miracle. That to me, it changed <laughs> the weather, it, you know, and, and the Ganesh, absolutely. And then you come to people who um, walk on coals and things like that. And to me, mm-hmm. that's mind over matter. That's not necessarily, I mean, it's unusual, but it's, to me, to me, I can explain that almost scientifically. Well, there are attempts to explain it <clears throat> scientifically, but the heat creates a little sweat. I don't think so. I think you have a genuine psychic phenomenon here. Uh, it may be a little easier <clears throat> to explain or seem to explain or try to explain than something as amazing as, uh, you know, some of the other things we've just been discussing, uh, Fatima and the milk miracle in India. But uh, I would give it a little bit more credit. That, But I, see, I do see what you're driving at. It's a little easier to get your, wrap your mind around that than some of these other phenomena, like the instantaneous, like the healing of uh, Mr. Wright, for example, uh, that's another one. The, well, that's just complete. Well, you know, when you know, I I have not walked on coals, nor do I intend to. But uh-huh. um, I I have met people that have, and Me too. It's, right. they they do they do get you into a state of ecstasy to a certain amount. They get you mm-hmm. into a a heightened state of 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 inner vibrational whatever. And, mm-hmm. and I've seen that I've seen people see, you know, they are totally, totally unscorched. So, hmm. um, so, but to me, you can put yourself into that frame of mind. You can get yourself into that zone, whether you're like, uh, well, the, the, the dervishes, you know, they get themselves mm-hmm. into a state of ecstasy by going around and around in a circle. I would throw up, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, that's <laughs> obviously not my mode. <laughs> But, right, right, right. But but everybody, I think everybody has at least one way they can get themselves into that zone. Runners can do it. Uh, bikers do it. I mean, there is that that sense of putting yourself into another another frequency of energetic. After mm-hmm. all, mm-hmm. we are mm-hmm. electromagnetic magnetic beings. That's, yeah. that's what runs our body. There is electricity here. So if you can get the electricity to rev itself up or put it to another frequency, you can mm-hmm. be capable of doing a lot of things. Now, right. is that paranormal? It, it is above normal for sure. It, it but, depends on, I don't, I, you know, again, it, you're right. There, there are borderlines. It depends on how you want to even define paranormal. The fact that I can move my arm with a thought or that I can, like Nijinsky, dance so beautifully just by my mind shaping my body uh, is, uh, is, in a sense, inexplicable. How is a thought, I mean, we know our thoughts innervate our nervous system, and we know that electricity goes through the body and contracts muscles, and that's how it happens. But how can an intangible thought directly impact upon a, our nervous systems. That in itself is slightly puzzling. Yeah. So, uh, you, you know, there, there there are all kinds of boundary situations here where 
the 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 phenomenon is unusual but maybe not quite paranormal and then there there are degrees of paranormality so okay. yes well, there's a kind of, a, a continuum of effects uh okay. from the Go- normal to, to the going super going going from that over to the fact that okay we can get ourselves into a different state of frequency or mind how do you explain and, and this i would consider this almost magical and miracle ish as well mm-hmm. um auto, auto, automatic writing um where you are tapping into another level of your own consciousness that mm-hmm. speaks with a higher degree of beauty and poetry uh-huh. Um, I, I have I have written poetry this way. I can't I can't rhyme not with a darn. But yeah. when I get into that place inside of them, I've I've published a book of poetry, but it wasn't done yeah. in 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 the here and the now. It was done it was done from another yeah. level of awareness. So this is something that everybody can learn to do. This is this is going from your consciousness to your higher consciousness to your attachment mm-hmm. to um, cosmic consciousness, if you want. It, it, you can bring information through. You can bring wisdom through. You can bring philosophy through. It won't tell you what to do or how to do it, but it will give mm-hmm. you beautiful material to live your life by. Now, to me, that's a miracle. Yeah, I agree that the that the access to the miracle domain, as it were, is there are so many pathways, so many ways to edge ourselves into this realm of magic and strange power. Uh, I mean, there is just, just talk about falling asleep. I mean, and, and you know, the, hip, the hypnagogic state, I happen to have a knack for prolonging my state of mind as I'm falling asleep. I like to watch myself. And there's a realm in between that's called hypnagogia. As you're falling asleep, mm-hmm. we start to, you, where you're awake, but you're also seeing visions. And every now and then I'm, I do that. I get pretty good at it. And, and I've explored, especially if I, now and then I get insomniac very infrequently. But it doesn't bother me because it forces me then to explore my hypnagogic states. And I have wondered, like all the faces and the people that I see, I wonder, they all look like real people. I'm not making, these are not figments of my imagination. And I wonder, am I in another world while I'm in this twilight zone? Uh, Who are these people? Sometimes they look at me. And sometimes when they look too closely right at me and they're very close, I wake up because it kind of spooks me. So, but that's just another example of what you're talking about being on the edge. We're on, it's, a, it's a liminal, this is a big concept that's used. Being on the threshold of a yes. change is the, Portal, is the yeah. most likely yeah, state where these leaps into sudden insight and epiphany take place. It's always on the edge of a, of a new reality. And uh, Portal, so, on the know, edge of sleep. That can that can be either folded time, or it can be another dimension, or it can be another timeline. 
Yes, 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 exactly. And, uh, I mean, well, time is such a mysterious thing. Uh, I mean, mean, in this near-death experience, people Uh tell me that they remembered in one instantaneous flash every detail of their lives. And I say to myself, come on. You remember the time that you, uh, every time you blew your nose? (laughs) Come on. But, I mean, I get the idea. I get the idea that I've never had this experience of, uh, of of the whole my whole life, well, you know, I, I've been exploring it during, during the pandemic, though, because I've had so much time by, my, by myself. I've been recollecting. I'm digging up papers I haven't looked at, books I haven't read that I have underlined and realized I've forgotten everything, and 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 then digging things up, and it's been feeling like I'm having a uh, a, a kind of a panoramic memory. That happens to people when they have near-death experiences. But I'm not near-death. But uh, no. So well, yeah, I think that these things are possible. Well, and and you know, I I think one of the you, you did mention the pandemic, and 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 I've often said I feel that it's it's the universe giving all of us a time out to rediscover what we really need to do in life. And well. Um, yeah, a lot of people are feeling that. The, the unfortunate thing is that that what you just said describes some of us. I own my own house. I have enough money to live. I have things to do. I have interesting friends. Things, you know, here I am having an interesting conversation with an interesting woman. You, right? We're in good shape. But yeah. I, I don't stay the obvious. People are being wiped out. Everything. Live, half a million dead. I don't know what's going uh-huh. on with them. Uh, then, you know, evicted, poverty, craziness. People are going nuts. They can't stand. I mean, I, can, I love being by myself. I'm never bored. But other people uh, can handle it. So it's a, it's a mixed bag that we're witnessing right now of tragedy. It, it and, is. Creative and creative potential all lumped together, you know. But uh, it it, it's and, a strange. But but I really believe that it has, in in some ways, been a benefit to humanity. Not the people dying. Don't don't ever think no, that. That's that's just wrong. But yeah, but it it has it has enabled those that were supposed to 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 start to tap into other aspects and qualities within themselves that they might never have have um, reached to before. Um, I've yes. seen people yes. that, that, have, that have created jobs for themselves and, and, and uh-huh. have never been happier. Um, right. I, you know, I was retired. This hasn't changed my life. I'm, I'm very, very fortunate in that way. But... Huh. but um, but it seems to me that this is also a time for inner reflection. No matter what your situation is, there is, there is always hope inside. We create our reality by our perception of it. Mm-hmm. And oh, if, yeah. if, you, yeah. if, if you start to perceive your, your reality in a different way, if you're not happy about something, change your perception. Because reality will change in accordance with that. 
and uh, you know we we have I, I want to kind of make sure I, I I hit Joan of Arc because she was phenomenal as far as now here is a real miracle here I can't explain any of this the voices and and the fact that right. she you know she followed the voices she did what she was told and and her ending was very very sad um, makes yeah. one wonder if yeah. you should, if you should really follow the voices. <laughs> Right, yeah, that 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 is it. I mean, that's a story where it seems like the big mind is just using somebody, and and the sacrifice and seems, you know, whether or not she's sacrificed or not. Uh, it, 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 but uh, it, it's it is a sad story. But then again, if there's another world beyond, and uh, she's, um, you know, it's not the end. Uh, oh no, no. Yeah, so that 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 that, that that's uh, there are some people I suppose it's their lot to to do great things, but it costs them their lives. I mean, Socrates, uh, you remember that interesting story about Socrates? He, I mean, you can't help admiring uh, a man uh, or a woman. <laughs> I mean, Joan of Arc, for example, the courage yeah. to do, to do these extraordinary things and then to face death with. With serenity, I mean, Joan could have lied her way out of, of her death, and so could Socrates easily. Socrates sure. didn't lose a friend. He wanted he he refused. He said, "Look, if I go against the the state, uh, then then I'm guilty of subverting the validity of of our way of life." And I, I personally, you know, don't agree with that because he. The state can make a mistake, and you have to fight against injustice. But at any rate, Socrates serenely went to his death, uh, and that is because uh, he didn't want to lie, he, to, to be true to himself. And uh-huh. many people have done that. And uh, Bruno, uh, he could have escaped the uh, the, the being uh, burnt at the stake easily. Uh-huh. All he had to do was BS his way out. And but he told the truth, his truth, and then he said, as they were about to light the light the the flames underneath him, he said, "You're more afraid than I am." <laughs> uh-huh. uh, in other words, he was going to his death with a kind of uh, joy and a sense of triumph. Uh, <clears throat> so yeah, life is strange. <laughs> Well, it is, and, and and yet we have these all these wonderful examples through time, and you know you went way back to you know not, not the beginning, but you went back as far as you could to pick up miracles, and and I suspect you probably had a lot more than you actually put in the book. Oh but, God, and there's a fragment, just a pieces, just a few pieces. I have so much material, uh, I could triple that book. In, in size, and I would think in interest, but I mean, I have other, I've got other things that I'm working on, and uh, but you're right, there's just there's an enormous amount of material out there, and the nice thing is that the internet now makes uh, books accessible in a way. I mean, and not only books, but people's experiences. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff. Some of it is, you know, maybe a little less. Uh, valuable and credible, but uh, I keep finding things. There's there isn't a moment 
time when I, 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 I can never say that I've run out of material. Uh, it, it's no, just, I would uh, think not. Yeah, it, 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 there's a great deal, a great deal there. But, well, you um, know, you're, 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 you know, your book is The Smile of the Universe, and, and basically we are all creations of a higher source. So in a, in a way, we are miracles too, and, and science hasn't yet, to, to my satisfaction, proved how humanity, as we are today, actually came to be on this planet. So... Uh, if you you know a big uh, an even bigger miracle is did we evolve here or were we planted here and and then of course the question is by who by what by why so um, right, right, right. you know we we got well, yes, we have miracles absolutely. you're, you're perfectly right the, the origin of life itself is one of the mysteries the origin of consciousness uh, here's one point where mainstream scientists and philosophers are compelled to admit that they are baffled, and that is the the problem of consciousness. Uh Some guy, an Australian philosopher, wrote a book about the hard problem, consciousness. Well, heck, you know, a lot of people knew that before, but uh, the hard problem, meaning how does this intangible, mysterious, phenomenon of consciousness, which is not physical, emerge out of a physical brain. Uh, that, that, you know, my own conclusion is, is that the brain does not produce consciousness. It merely transmits it, that the consciousness is there to begin with. Uh-huh. And then, our, uh, that, in other words, there's one mind, one consciousness, and our bodies... Each person, each embodied person, uh, is a manifestation or a reflection of the one light of consciousness, the one Uh ultimate life-giving reality. And so at the bottom of our nature, we're all one. I mean, there is a sense of of that. and, and, And I think that's one of the great values of the mystical experience, the sense of oneness, of, of not only the oneness with other people, but with all living forms, and even with oh, yeah. the natural world. And uh, to have that, that to, to be blessed with that feeling of unity, uh, is, uh, it comes from the fact that we are all, at bottom, rooted in the same mysterious energy, I like that term, of, of our of, of our of our consciousness of the kind of a cosmic uh, consciousness, how far it reaches into the universe, I don't know, but at least it makes sense to talk about, you know, the planetary mind that there's one mind oh, yeah. here on this planet. And, well, uh, when you look at out of body experiences where people have been um, proclaimed dead and and been able to have been watching people uh, during an operation that they were a part right. of. And, right. I mean, that to me says, okay, that which I identify as me inside me, it, it means that, that this physical body is an avatar for uh, a spiritual essence that, that has no physicality. And, mm-hmm. and therefore, you know, once this physical body is gone, 
my essence will be able to go and do whatever it wants to do. So, I mean, that now that's a miracle. Once you understand <laughs> that, that <laughs> now, once you understand that you are not your physical body, you are a spirit uh-huh. that is riding in that physical body. Once you come to that, then it's kind mm-hmm. of like um, uh, I, I think I, I interviewed some people in, um, that had near-death experiences, and one young lady who had committed suicide or tried to was talking mm-hmm. about how she floated and. She said, I wasn't surrounded by light. I wasn't supported by light or love. She said, I was love. You have to understand you become mm-hmm. love when you're when you're not in the physical anymore. And that is such a profound statement that that you know, it, it, it just it, it 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 took my breath away when she said it. Mm. And I think well, I yeah, think that you know, I was going to say that the near-death experience is undoubtedly, in my mind, one of the most interesting psychological phenomena. I mean, and we owe it to the fact that we have this fancy resuscitation technology nowadays so that, that we can prevent people, we can catch people on the edge of uh, death itself and then stop them so that they, they get peaks and then they, we bring them back and we get these stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I agree that this is, uh, listening to these near-death experiences is quite amazing, quite amazing. And, uh, well, well I, I, don't, uh, I, don't know who's, I don't know who's in charge, but whoever figured out that if you gave a scientist a near-death experience, it would validate the whole process, and that's what they did. I mean, there was a surgeon mm-hmm. that was certified dead and um he came back and he told one whopping story so uh you know it, it kind of gave gr- greater validation to the fact that this indeed does happen and right uh, yeah the number there are a number of uh neuroscientists who have had near death experiences and changed their whole way of looking at the world and uh so it would be nice to figure out a way to induce near death the the quality of the experience without actually risking death but that i suppose <laughs> is what the what the what the shamans and the mystics and the yogis do they train their bodies they fast they meditate they go into solitude they 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 hide out in caves they cut themselves off from the from physical reality and withdraw as deeply into their own uh, conscious selves as they can, and and that's when the enlightenment is more likely to come. So, uh, yeah. They they call it practicing dying, and mm-hmm. and 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 it's it, it's it's brutal what it does to their bodies, and yet the enlightenment mm. that they get from it is so. Um, amazing to them as an as an individual. Can they do anything with it? No, but they're in um, a magical place inside of themselves that is just so blissful that it's worth all the sacrifice. It's 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 not even they don't even question the sacrifice. It's like you know this is how I get to that place inside of me, and I'm going there, and. Um, and then, of course, you have those those 
bodies that never deteriorate that you know are are of the highly evolved yogis and everything that they they just uh they never they never deteriorate their bodies just stay exactly as they were when they died um well they don't the necessarily indi- do that yeah it, it it's not necessarily forever but i mean in some instances there have been incorrupt bodies that have lasted for hundreds of years some of them will last a while and then the decay sets in so it's not an absolute thing but again it's completely hard to understand why this, the bodies of uh, of holy people, yogis, uh, saints, or whatever, seem to be, behave differently than the ordinary uh, folk when they uh, die. Uh, it, 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 it's another one of those real puzzles. And uh, uh, it's, it's almost as though the, the holy or highly evolved person's body is unconsciously being used as a symbol. And it's saying, look, you see, I'm supposed to be rotten and smelly, but I still <laughs> smell nice and and and, uh, and my body is intact. Uh, and figure that one out, boys and girls. <laughs> well, but, you know, uh, you have to be you have to be grateful for those 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 miracles and those mysteries, because otherwise life would be terribly boring if we knew everything. There would be no point to having a physical reality. Well, it would not only be boring, it would be horrifying to know that all the evil in the world, there's no no hope of compensation, no hidden dimension of of uh, a benefit that's uh, uh, that might be available, at least might be available. Uh, I mean, you know, it's... Uh, uh, one of the things about the belief in life after death that I don't understand, <clears throat> scientists should be should be interested in that, in the evidence for life after death, because I think there's a moral imperative to think about it. <clears throat> it like if a, if, a, if a medicine came along, you knew that was going to prolong life and you and you covered it up. That would be a crime and that would be uh-huh. something unforgivable. Well, why are so few scientists willing to investigate the ultimate healing of death itself, namely the idea that there is a life after death? You know, I mean, I don't get it, why, why they resist it. Uh, and uh, it would, if everybody was absolutely convinced that there was a continuation of their lives after their death, I think we would behave differently. Uh, it just, you know, who knows? In the future, we may have technologies that enable us to tune into the other world. <clears throat> who knows? And that will change everything when that happens. Well, I, th- I think we have it now. I think that, that there are people that can do that now. And um, <clears throat> I, I think we're at a, a, a precipice where there are glimpses into this material and that... that you know, people are beginning to to bring information through that that um, some of it is fraudulent, some of it is real, and it's up to the individual to determine you know which is which. Right. But I think right. that we're at a we're at a time and a place where um, so much there's so much potential that's available, and people are beginning to be comfortable with with the the fact that they can they can reach and they can stretch and they can they can go into other realms um 
you know, their minds at least, their their spirit at least, so that they can bring information and insight and philosophy back. I think we're at a, a place where where we're coming to a time of enlightenment that uh, we haven't seen in many many generations. I, I think we're we're um, in, in in a revolving pattern that is we've been here before. Mm-hmm. But um, I think we're coming out of what I call the dark ages, and we're coming into a time of, of enlightenment that we'll probably have for yeah, hundreds of years, maybe thousands. But more and more and more, there's, we're opening up to a lot of the potential that's out there. Uh, I just noticed the time. We've talked our way through two hours. Do you believe that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I think that we are on... Uh, you know, there, there's a lot. I mean, I've written, I wrote a piece recently, a blog, a post on uh, <clears throat> uh, the question is, po- no, I haven't published it yet. Poised for Renaissance, and ah. uh, a lot of people are thinking along those lines. That, and, and historically, it's been true that people who have, uh, after uh, uh, pandemics in the past, there have been cultural. Renewals, and I wrote something about the, the the Italian Renaissance was preceded by a uh, the Black Death, uh, yeah. which uh, ma- made all kinds of changes in Europe that were positive. So maybe that's what's going to happen uh, with us uh, now, and that would be a good way to end our conversation on that optimistic note. Yes, sir. Um, now, do you have a website you want to send people to? Oh, uh, well, yeah, I have a blog, uh, and I have an art website. Um, but uh, don't you have that material? I mean, my blog, I can send an email to you. Okay, I'll get it in the write-up for the show. I, I, but I do, I want to thank you so very much. This has been such a, an enlightening show, and um, I look forward to working with you again. Yeah, it's very interesting, and I, I would like to... Uh, to talk to you at some time about these um, uh, podcasts. I mean, this is a podcast that that we've just recorded, right? This is a podcast, yes. Right. I'm happy okay. to do that with you, and and I'll get in touch with you, and and we'll do that. Um, so I want to thank you. I'm going to have to rush before they cut me off here. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening. Do check into the YouTube channel and to the. Um, Ah, the Rumble channel as well, and make sure you you select either follow or subscribe because that's the only way we know you're listening. Uh, I want to thank everybody for being here. Do tune in tomorrow night. Mark Eddy has a really great show lined up, and, of course, next week. So have a great evening, everybody. Stay well, stay healthy, and stay out of trouble. Good night now. <laughs>